You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Bob Garfield, author of The Chaos Scenario and host of NPR's On the Media, goes on the record online. Well, there was a difference between the psychology of the mob or of the crowd and the aggregated wisdom of the crowd. These are two separate phenomena. Uh, And as we talk about the power of the crowd, we have to keep both of them in mind. Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online. Uh, with Bob Garfield, who is the author of the new book, The Chaos Scenario. Uh, he hosts a show on NPR called On the Media and is one of the uh, world's foremost uh, thinkers, critics, um, educators, uh, and students of, of the business of advertising. Um, I've actually been listening to On the Media with Brooke Gladstone and him for, for many years, and Brooke has also been on this show as well, and there's a link to Brooke's episode in the show notes. Um, I am uh, pleased to announce that uh, for the third year on the record uh, online is the official podcast of the Public Relations Society of America's International Conference. Uh, this year we are in San Diego, November 7th through 10th, 2009. And uh, Bob Garfield is uh, going to be one of the keynote speakers there. So I had a chance to talk to him about the future of mass media, uh, the wisdom of the crowd, and the impact of old media on new media. And Shellholtz, take note, you're not going to like his answer. Uh, All that and more after this. Hi, this is Chris Bechtel, and I'm the Vice President of Products and Services with iPressroom. Today, we're talking about one of our core offerings, the online pressroom. Using iPressroom's media platform content management system, non-technical communications pros can easily upload, manage, measure, and distribute their content in a full-featured, branded online pressroom. See pressroom.target.com for an example. The same is available on a smaller scale as well for nonprofits, smaller organizations, and mid-sized companies. If you'd like to learn more, feel free to email us questions to info at ipressroom.com or visit us on the web at www.ipressroom.com slash demo. Bob Garfield, author of The Chaos Scenario, uh, you're going to be keynoting the upcoming Public Relations Society of America's International Conference in San Diego, November 7th through 10th, along with Ariana Huffington and former White House economic advisor Todd Buckholes. Um, tell us a little about what you're going to discuss. I'm going to discuss how we were all of us totally and completely fucked, although PR people probably less than the general media population. So just just to break that down, I mean, I know you've predicted that the future of everything, not just media and marketing, but politics, too, will no longer be top-down. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is that in a connected world, the ability to dictate to some mute hoi polloi is pretty much at an end. Uh, Those of us formerly known as the customer or the audience or the electorate or the congregation – uh, uh, we are no longer powerless. We can coalesce, aggregate, band together, sometimes in a mob, to make life miserable for someone who would 
dictate to us or to represent a vast, priceless reserve of aggregated IQ and talent and energy, passion, uh, and, uh, and uh, loyalty, evangelism, you name it. So uh, depending on how you, you deal with this, you can uh, or don't, you can either have the benefits of our aggregated uh, power or you can be its victim. Now, you also wrote in the book, and I, I noticed there was actually a few chapters available online for free, which was great. I got to read some of it. Um, oh, you mean at thechaosscenario.net? That's, that's right. right. Yeah. Thechaosscenario.net. Yeah. So it was interesting that it was .net. It was, it was interesting that it was .net and not .com. Yeah, big, well, long story. Not a happy one, but anyway, .net it is. But you wrote, uh, when the TV age finally succumbs to the digital age, we'll be living in a different world and mainly a much better one. How can you be so sure? Well, I'm not sure of anything, but I do know that, uh, that the, the digital world gives us opportunities to, uh, as I was just saying a moment ago, to aggregate the combined energies and IQ and passions of the entire world, to take a lot of the, uh, to, to create efficiencies in markets where efficiencies had been physically impossible, and uh, to generally enhance communications, which is pretty much at the heart of everything. You know, the bad news is, and it, it's substantial bad news, it's, it's going to be catastrophic for at least two industries, media and marketing, uh, particularly advertising, which has no economic model in a digital world. And uh, secondly, we are going to be deprived of that magnificent, beautiful, uh, cherished synergy, uh, symbiosis between mass marketing and mass media, which has served us so well going back to the Elizabethan days which means the collapse of the newspaper industry that we're witnessing right now and probably the end of network TV in a pretty big hurry and, and certainly uh, no new episodes of Lost uh, in uh, you know, just a few TV seasons hence. Bob, there's so much hard data out there to confirm what you're saying, um, that the business of advertising is broken. I mean, we've been hearing it over and over again for the last, I would say, four years at least. And... Um, and uh, there's an increasingly compelling stable of research confirming channels like search and social media as effective and efficient. So if that's the case, why are most companies still spending more on conventional advertising than on online engagement? Well, I'm about to get boring here, but uh, I'm afraid to properly answer your question. I'm going to have to do that. And it, let me, let's just pull back and look at the entire uh, United States uh, financial system. It's based principally on publicly held companies who are answerable to their share shareholders every three months. And in that environment, what you have to do every three months is uh, improve revenues and most importantly, uh, the net. You've got to show increased profits, increased sales, increased profits. And if you don't, the prices of your, of your stock goes down and uh, management uh, is in big, 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 big trouble because their compensation, their bonuses, and also their livelihoods, their futures depend on it. So uh, the status quo uh, is what 
drives most business decisions in the publicly held world. People have to, on the one hand, preserve that which gives them the ability to make a quarterly uh, profit and an increase in profits. Uh, even if and even when the handwriting is on the wall for a future that's not going to accommodate any of the same structures that constitute the status quo. So that's what's happening. Uh, some people are in plain denial. Some people are clinging to the status quo for the reason I just cited. And some people are just stupid. And uh, as, a, as a consequence, they, um, they do what they've always done. Now, unfortunately, or I don't know, I don't know if it's unfortunate or not, but uh, the, the, well, it is unfortunate. The recession has, the Great Recession of 2008-2009 has done what common sense previously had not done, which is persuade people to spend less in mass advertising. And uh, my guess is that while there will be a bump in the old-fashioned advertising markets when the recession um, effectively ends, not officially, but effectively ends. The bump will be smaller than in previous uh, uh, ends of recessions, and that people will begin to realize that that there are other ways to proceed. Uh, in effect, the recession may give cover, political cover, to executives who can finally afford to take the long view. Okay, so, so Bob, let's say... I'm an executive at a big company, and I'm in charge of marketing. And for years, I've been justifying the concept of leveraging my message against reach and frequency. Uh, practically speaking, how do I grapple with the prospect of reaching a million audiences of 12? Well, you can't. I mean, grapple with it. <laughs> There's nothing to grapple with. Uh, you just have to accept because in the you know in the brave new world, un unlike the cowardly old one, uh, you can't reach in one fell swoop gigantic audiences. Oh, you can send the message out there, but it doesn't mean that they're you know paying any attention. I mean, you can pay vast premiums to to continue to buy the incredible shrinking mass market, but you get less and less and less for your money. Uh, and when that completely collapses, you will have no choice but to aggregate, not uh, aggregate audience one or two or twenty or fifty at a time. But if you're still thinking of them as audience, you're you're already behind the curve because in a connected world, you must actually forge relationships with these people, not just to dictate them to them what your what your marketing message is but to treat them for what they are, which is genuinely, genuine stakeholders, people with a proprietary interest in your, in your business. You know, Eric, um, 20 years ago, long before anybody had ever thought of the Internet, uh, so, you know, apart from maybe a few uh, academics, the, the new Coke was launched. It was like 30, oh, 25 years ago. The new Coke was launched. And it was launched on the basis of research that proved uh, that blind taste testers prefer the taste of the new Coke to the, to the Coke Classic. And Coca-Cola went ahead and made a multi-hundred million dollar decision uh, based on very good data that said that in blind tests people preferred the taste of new Coke. But see, they asked the wrong question. The question they should have asked was, do you want us fiddling with the taste of Coke? And they would have found out 
The answer would have been a resounding no, because people believed uh, that Coca-Cola was as much theirs as it was a property of the Coca-Cola company. And after all, hadn't the Coca-Cola company spent about 100 years and countless billions of dollars trying to persuade them of just that? The customer is not just a customer. Uh, they, they care deeply, in some cases, perversely about your goods and services. And if you just treat them like some sort of credit card number or piggy bank, you are on the wrong course. Let's um, uh, take a look at the news media, which obviously is something that uh, public relations is very interested in. Um, you know, the notion that crowds are self-policing or somehow smarter than individuals has given rise to the idea of crowdsourcing or tapping into popular trends to mobilize support via the net. And Internet advocates tell us that the wisdom of the crowd prevails online. But it was French philosopher Gustave Le Bon in his book, The Crowd, who told us that when we join crowds, we're more willing to surrender our individuality to the collective fervor of the crowd. And the most famous student of Le Bon, who acknowledges him as instrumental to his accomplishments, was none other than Adolf Hitler. So when it comes to news media, are you concerned that 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 content created essentially by crowds is ushering journalistic process to irrelevance. Yes, I am terrified for a host of reasons. Uh, uh, let me just give you a, a, a few different versions of my answer. One is, I'm concerned that in the vacuum that's created by the collapse of traditional media, uh, I'm talking about newspapers and other uh, journalistic entities, that uh, interested parties are going to step in who can afford to lose endless amounts of money and provide what looks like news, but what is in fact uh, uh, heavily politically and ideologically inflected uh, stuff like you would see on Fox News or MSNBC. So, and by the way, that includes governments. Already in England uh, and elsewhere in Europe, go local governments are stepping in with a local village newspaper has uh, has stepped out and therefore almost by definition not uh, being able to take on the watchdog role of government that newspapers uh, have had for hundreds of years. So I'm, I'm very concerned about that. Um, and, uh, and as to the, the psychology of the crowd, well, there's a difference between the psychology of the mob or of the crowd and the aggregated wisdom of the crowd. These are two separate phenomena. Uh, and as we talk about the power of the crowd, we have to keep both of them in mind. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's any evidence yet that, that crowdsourcing of journalistic process, uh, pro I'm sorry, of journalistic projects has uh, created some sort of uh, mob mentality where where people l lose their reason and revert to you know kind of Lord of the Flies. Um, um, oh, I'm sorry, I'm losing a word here. Uh, That's right. I'll, I'll jump in here, Bob. No, so, no, no. I, I, I'm going to insist on let me, let me go right ahead. I'll be off my feet. Go right ahead. Uh, uh, oh my God! Well, Lord of the Flies, bestiality, you know. But uh, and nor does crowdsourcing, even when it's best done, in any way replace the kind of traditional journalism we've had for 
350 years. It can do things that no news organization has been ever been able to do all by itself. It's going to it's an endlessly wonderful uh, resource for uh, parceling out tiny, tiny, tiny little legwork errands to large numbers of people that would have taken an investigative reporter team months or years to to uh, analyze. But it certainly doesn't. And, and, oh, and by the way. Um, Spot news reporting will increasingly fall into the hands of the crowd. But ordinary journalism, the stuff of going and, and, and covering events uh, that are, are not straightforward, especially political ones, is, is the job that belongs with journalists. The only question is, how will, the, how will they be compensated for the work, or will we have a whole uh, blogosphere of, of amateurs and ideologues doing the work that should be done by, by professionals. Um, demagoguery is the strategy of gaining political power by appealing to the prejudices, emotions, fears, and expectations of the public. But given that we're still in early stages of the digital revolution, and given that the web is so resistant to regulation, um, you know, what about, I mean, are you concerned that the commercial success of the Internet is basically forcing us to trade journalistic process for the ultimate demagoguery channel. No, that you've just described cable news. What you've described is 24-hour cable news, which, uh, as a matter of cutting costs and feeding ratings, has done just that. It uh, it speaks and uh, uh, it, it trades in lies and half truths and demagoguery that correspond with the worldview of the the target audience. It has nothing to do with journalism and and everything to do with uh, keeping the, keeping the mob aroused. Uh, what what the internet provides, because it is an endless reservoir of content, it it is a host to endless numbers of points of view. And obviously, morons will still be attracted to demagogues, but on the vast internet, there will always be. Um, more rational thinkers and certainly opposing views, and that there, there will always be uh, a, a conversation going on uh, to a degree, you know, 30 years ago never even imaginable, uh, that, that allows us to get all the news, information, opinion, commentary we'd ever want to have across the whole continuum of political thought. We're talking to Bob Garfield. He's the author of The Chaos Scenario and also the host of one of my favorite shows on the media, uh, which is an NPR show also hosted by Brooke Gladstone, who's also been on this podcast. And we'll have a, a link to Brooke's episode in the show notes. Uh, Bob is going to be keynoting the Public Relations Society of America's International Conference in San Diego, November 7th through 10th, along with Arianna Huffington and former White House economic advisor Todd Buckholz, and you can get more information about the conference at prsa.org. Bob, Google CEO Eric Schmidt was recently quoted saying that the Internet is becoming a cesspool of information and, and, that, and that trusted journalism brands were the only solution. Um, uh, you know, given that we have no idea how trusted journalism is going to pay the bills, um, um, but given that, you know, that the the the, uh, the key to uh, uh, good information is is trusted brands. Do you think old guard news media brands will have their day in the sun again? A few will. 
I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of them will go the way of all things. There will be a lot of consolidation, uh, unusual partnerships. There will be hybrid for-profit, non-profit models, a lot of foundation um, support. Uh, and, you know, I, I think, you know, the New York Times is not going to disappear from the face of the earth. National Public Radio is not going to disappear from the face of the earth, though many of its member stations will. And uh, there will be there will be brands out there that do survive this this catastrophic effect of the digital revolution. Now, whether they remain trusted, whether once all of the power that has been conferred upon upon them by the very fact of consolidation uh, kind of uh, goes to their head or somehow uh, somehow uh, permits them to. Tr- to begin to trade on values other than the ones that made them trusted to begin with, that remains to be seen. You know, you always worry whether in government or media too much power being invested in any in any one uh, institution. And if you want proof of that, just look at Kevin Costner's movies, the ones he directed, uh, and Eddie Murphy's. You know, these guys were talented actors, and once they got absolute power, they. <laughs> They proceeded unchecked and created these unwatchable movies at great expense, right? So just just imagine if the New York Times begins to behave that way. You know, we do not want journalistic water world. One of my favorite new media thinkers, uh, Shell Holtz, who does a podcast called For Immediate Release, uh, says often, new media doesn't kill old media, old media adapts. Do you agree? No. No. There's... There, there's no adapting to revolution. You know, we adapted to the transition, even the sea change between radio and television, between from the VHS to the uh, to the DVR. The, you know, these are these are kind of incremental changes. But w- w- what we are talking about is a is a revolution on the scale of the industrial revolution. It it collapses entire business models. And uh, the, the new media can no more adapt to a digital world than cobblers could adapt to the steam engine. And the cobblers are gone. There were you know, tens of thousands of them, and now there were about 100. So uh, the same goes with old media. Now, as I say, some institutions will survive what will be just an unbelievable, bloody, bloody, bloody period of consolidation. Some will survive, and some will be larger and stronger and so forth. But but for the vast majority of broadcast stations, daily newspapers, uh, and uh, magazines, it's just, you know, it's all over. It's all over but the, uh, what's the expression? All over but the singing? All over but the... Shouting. It's all over but the shouting. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's sad for advertising. I mean, I can tell you categorically that advertising cannot adapt, not only because they, they have to cease dictating and start conversing with the crowd formerly known as the audience, but their financial model is built on buying media at great expense and passing on uh, and, and getting a percentage from, from the client. Now, they nominally have changed the their compensation model over the years, but it still amounts to this. Uh, the, the big accounts are the ones that have a lot of media weight and the 
little accounts are the ones that don't. And the advertising agency industry is can can in no way adapt to to the digital world. Is it fair? Is it fair to say that TV marginalized high-minded political debate in this country by birthing the soundbite culture that we now live in? Is that fair? Of course, it's fair. Okay, so it's so fair, here's here's true. a question. Here's the question. If TV marginalized high-minded political debate in this country by creating a soundbite culture, what's new media going to do to the soundbite? Well, you know, sometimes uh, in a YouTube world, it does what cable news has done for the last you know twenty some years, which is to take a soundbite out of context and run it over and over and over and change its meaning and, and essentially uh, misrepresent the truth, sometimes with very large consequences. And the YouTube culture can do that, that very thing. The plus side of the Internet is that it also is simultaneously, correspondingly, truth-squatting everything that appears online. So if you are yourself inquisitive, if you were the kind of person who knew how to use mass media, the, the micro-media will be endlessly valuable to you. If you were, of the, if you were one of the you know, large percentage of Americans who are utterly disengaged and who can be you know, suckered in by sound bites, you are going to be you know, sodomized by the Internet. And uh, the only question is whether more people will be enlightened than have historically or not. Uh, you know, my, my guess is that democracy will benefit, but uh, there, there's a lot of reasons to, there's a lot of risk out there, and I, I don't know how it's all going to turn out. So, so your bet is that our democracy can and will survive the loss of a vibrant fourth estate as we know it today? Well, no. No, I mean, there will be a fourth estate. Some of it will be the sort of traditional kind of big name, big brand uh, media operations like the New York Times and National Public Radio and the BBC. Uh, and then there will be everything that happens online as well. And the people who can aggregate it, and especially if anyone figures out how to monetize it, maybe someday in a, in a micropayments world. But uh, journalism is not going to die. However, for the intervening period that I call the, the chaos scenario, this long period before, well, you know, while the collapse is underway, uh, lots and lots of purveyors of traditional journalism will disappear. But at the other end, journalism will survive, and in the intervening time, a lot of journalism is going to take place. Uh, but, you know, I think a connected world at the end of this period of chaos, or say 20 years hence, is going to be a, a net plus for democracy. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, if you want to go in that direction, I'd be happy to, to specify why. Well, what, what I would like to do um, uh, before we wrap it up, uh, obviously, you know, you are known uh, globally as, uh, you know, an expert in the world of television advertising. You uh, handicap the, uh, the the Super Bowl annually. Um, what I'd be curious to know from from an advertising standpoint, any sort of big takeaways you have seen with how advertising is changing, uh, given the rise of the internet and social media. Well, it may be a coincidence, but the, 
advertising creativity, the sort of thing that the advertising industry uh, has a you know cult around, has been very bad for the last couple of years. Maybe related to the recession, it may be related. I don't know what it's what's caused it, but uh, according to the values that the advertising industry most cherishes, it's been a bad couple of years. Uh, oddly enough, I don't think that's such a big deal because I've always thought that they, what uh, the advertising industry regards as creativity is is the wrong thing. But uh, uh, how else is advertising changing? Well, uh, the agency industry is, and the marketers certainly have figured out that it's coming to an end and they're just desperately, desperately, desperately trying to figure out what works in a digital world and you know search clearly works and targeting to narrow messages to the uh, to the right audience as opposed to the inefficient inefficient just megaphone approach uh, th that works some uh, but I'll tell you what doesn't work display advertising online that's a big problem because nobody has ever clicked on a banner ad ever except through mouse fraud and, you know, uh, click fraud and mouse error. So, um, you know, they're trying to figure out how it even translates to a digital world. And, you know, I think the change that you're referring to is that if marketers are kind of going to come up with other solutions, such as the ones I recommend, for creating connections with people that have little or nothing to do with advertising as we've always known it. You know, if you own IPG or Omnicom, man, I would. Uh, this would be a good time to short it. We've been talking to Bob Garfield. He's the author of the Chaos Scenario, uh, which is online at thechaosscenario.net, and host of one of my favorite shows, uh, NPR's On the Media with Brooke Gladstone. Uh, who's also been on this podcast, and I'll have a link to her episode in the show notes. Um, and we're talking to Bob. Um, one of the reasons we're talking to Bob is because he's going to be keynoting the upcoming Public Relations Society of America's International Conference. It is in San Diego this year from November 7th to 10th, uh, and he's going to be keynoting along with Ariana Huffington and former White House Economic Advisor Todd Buckholes, and you can get more information about the conference online at prsa.org. Um, Bob, thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for uh, the chat. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.